Well, good morning. I'm not preaching this morning. Usually when you see that bumper video, that means the preaching is happening, and that is not going to happen. First of all, kids are dismissed to kids' worship. Uh, if you are a partner with us, you know the drill. Giving is a huge part of who we are. We give of our time and our talents, and uh, we also give of our money. It's uh, the way we can continue to do ministry uh, in this community. So if you are a paper person, still write checks or give cash, there's a red give box back there. Or you can just get on the PushPay app, and you can give that way. Uh, also, I ask everyone to pull out your phones and jump on Facebook and check in uh, with the hashtag uh, a place for good. And every time you do that, proceeds will go to one of the many ministries we support. It's a Galpa Honduras uh, called Mia Esperanza. So we want to do that. Um, uh, so uh, next, while you have your phones out, uh, one of the other things that we have started doing is if you want to follow along with us throughout the sermon and sermon notes and that stuff, uh, go to your Bible app. Many of you use that for your Bibles anyway, uh, and look for Wellhouse Church, and you will see if you look under events, you'll actually find us, and you can follow along with all the scriptures, all the sermon points and things. You can take notes, and we invite you to be a part of that. A couple things that are happening in the life of our church is coming up uh, April 6th. Second, which is next week, right, is Created Sunday. And so if you have things, creative things, whether it's writing or art or woodworking or and get creative. I mean, there's a lot of things that we're not even thinking of, photography, that, that you might do as a hobby. We would love to see that. And so Kalisha... Uh, Baked goods is important. Kalisha is right there. You need to see her, and she'll get you a spot at the table. If you bring baked goods, make sure you bring extra. Um, and then uh, the very next week is Easter, and so a lot of stuff is happening. Not just Easter Sunday, which we ask to invite your family, invite your friends uh, to a very special Easter, but the day before on that Saturday is our Easter egg hunt. You probably got a card. Did everyone, uh, if not, there might be one sitting next to you. I think it was every other seat. There's a card that has Easter, and on the back it has all the info about the Easter egg hunt. And so we invite your kids uh, if you have nieces and nephews, invite them to, we would love to have a big, huge Easter egg bash. Uh, that is all the stuff that I have. So you ready? I'm ready. All let's right, man, let's this. do this. Yeah, perfect. Uh, I'm glad that Chris went through all that because you know how it is when I do announcements. It's, it's really hit or miss. Uh, so welcome those of you who uh, are joining us for the first time. Uh, it, it's, it's a pleasure to have you with us. My name's Steve Cunningham. I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse, and it truly is a privilege for me uh, to be able to do that. I get to serve alongside of so many wonderful people. Uh, we have a shepherding team who, uh, they're just a great, wonderful group of people who truly do care about your relationship with Christ, and they pray uh, for you all weekly and um, follow up with a follow up with many of you I know uh, we have a great lead team uh, people who are looking at the direction uh, of, of wellhouse and are we doing the things that, that God has called us to do and I love that and we have a great staff and a whole bunch of wonderful volunteers that that make uh, this church uh, do what it's supposed to do in this community and this time and so I'm grateful for that. Um, this morning I was, I was handed a phone. If you're, if you're missing your phone, I've been texting people on your behalf. Uh, and it's been some interesting response. We need to talk later. That's all I have to say. So 
I do have that, if, uh, and we'll, we'll talk, so uh, if, if you're missing your phone later. If not, I'll just carry on the conversations. It's been fun. So uh, we, are, we are two weeks into this series called For Me, and uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second, but I want to tell you about a story from my childhood first. You can probably remember a gift that sticks out to you. Uh, from from childhood. Uh, I have one for me, and it's a gift of a bicycle. And the truth of the matter was, when I was growing up, we were not uh, by any means uh, wealthy. We, In fact, my early childhood, my dad was laid off of General Motors. He worked on the assembly line there. He was laid off work for a couple of years. Uh, and so we kind of went through a, some really rough times, rough passion. My parents didn't have uh, really any money. And so uh, th- my dad <laughs> uh, asked me what I wanted for my birthday. And I told him I wanted a, a black bicycle with gold rims because apparently I was a baller back then. I don't really know uh, what was going on, but I wanted a black bike with gold rims. So just in case you all think that's a new trend, it's not. Um, and <laughs> my dad was like, I can't afford that, you know. Um, he didn't say that to me. What he did was he spent the next several months uh, looking, you know, at rummage sales, and he found a bike that would fit me, and then he sanded that thing down in the garage, all the spokes on the tires, and the whole bike took it all apart, spray-painted the, the uh, bike black and the rims gold, and then there it was with a bow around it, and I had no idea it wasn't new. I just, it was just everything I wanted, and it was for me specifically. Have you ever had somebody give you a gift that you knew was just like they had spent so much time and preparation and energy and thought that was for you specifically? Well, that's the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible, really, it starts with this creation, and then we read about the fall, and ever since the fall of man, the story of the Bible is God for you specifically, that he is continually pursuing you and me and has been doing that from the start of time. And the story of Jesus is no different. Uh, It just changes the game. And last week and this week and over the next couple of weeks together, we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus, understanding how it's, it's for me. And in fact, uh, Jesus didn't just die for me. He died instead of me. And that's an important understanding that truly you and I, we deserve the death. But Jesus stood in, in my place. Jesus lived. He was betrayed He was forsaken, he was accused, he was punished, and he died for us and instead of us. Last week we talked about the character of Judas, and it's kind of like as soon as you say that name, it's like, you know, the hush falls over the crowd, and, you know, you just kind of picture this sinister-looking character that's growing horns out of his head. But we recognized last week, if you weren't here, you can jump online later and, and, and watch that message, but that maybe Judas wasn't who we thought he was, that there was some aspects of Judas that we didn't necessarily get right. 
that, that at one point in time he left everything to follow Jesus, that, that he was gifted through Jesus, this ability to cast out demons and to preach the gospel, that he was trusted by Jesus and the rest of the disciples to be the guy who would carry the money bag, uh, that, that he was the treasure, but that over time sin began to slip into his life and ultimately as he allowed Satan to dictate his path for him, he chose to follow Satan's path instead of God's. And we, we kind of ended our thought, our time together with this thought that the hunger for success or attention or intimacy or affirmations can either be filled by God or fuel for Satan. That the hunger, the quest for success or attention, intimacy, affirmations from other people, man, they can either be filled by God or fuel for Satan. And that's exactly what happened in Judas's case. Today we're going to pick right back up where we left off last week. And if you have your Version Bible app, if you jump on events, all the message notes are there for you along with the scripture. So you can, you can jump on there and check it out. We're going to start today in Matthew chapter 27. But I want to set the stage for you because we're kind of skipping over just a little bit. A time where Jesus was in the garden, he was arrested. We talked about that today. I appreciate you uh, sharing that with us today, Chris. And then he winds up um, going on trial before a group of people called the San, uh, Sanhedrin. And this group of people is an assembly. Actually, the Sanhedrin is, is uh, it, it's Greek for a gathering or assembly, a sitting together. It's this group of, of elders, of rabbis who come together and they make decisions and most of these decisions are, are really kind of, uh, if you think about it, politically religious decisions. That's really what's happening. And so they make decisions across the board for this group of people we know as the Jews. So Jesus goes before them and... They start throwing out all kinds of accusations, and, and the Scripture tells us that there was many false accusations. In fact, a lot of people couldn't get their story straight, and at that point, it should have been thrown out, but it wasn't because they had an agenda that they were pushing, and so they wind up accusing him of blasphemy, that he called himself the Son of God, or he claims to be the Son of God. And so they wind up turning Jesus over to the Roman authorities. See, they had the ability as the Sanhedrin to claim that somebody was worthy of death, but they did not have the actual ability to carry that motion out. So they needed to have the Roman authorities step in and carry out what they could not do. This is where it turns over to the Roman authorities, and Jesus is taken before a guy named Pilate. And this is what happens in Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor, who's Pilate, asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by their chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now stop right there just for a moment. 
And I want you to think about this. The Bible records that, that Jesus doesn't reply to any charge brought against him. Now, I know as a parent, I have, I have six kids, and I don't even have a drinking problem yet. So that's pretty astounding. Um, yet, right? <laughs> Keyword. Um, but here's what I know. This is, just, this is just foundational truth about who we are that I've learned as a parent of six kids. If somebody blames something for something they thought that person did, but they didn't do it, they're going to cry out innocent. Now, it's true if they actually already did it too. I mean, it doesn't matter. They're, they're going to say it regardless. I didn't do it. It wasn't me, right? No guilty person, generally, is going to allow somebody to say, you did X, Y, and Z. These are the charges against you. You have anything to say for yourself? Nothing. Because silence, as we understand it in these charges, means guilt. But Jesus wasn't guilty. Right? He, did, he, he is what we call the perfect Lamb of God. He was sent by God, and he had no blemish among, among him. That's why he was able to die on our behalf. So why did Jesus stand guilty? And I want us to think about this because this is really important for us. See, he wasn't being accused and tried and condemned on his sins. He was being accused and tried and condemned for my sin. And so he stood as one who is guilty, not for him, but for you and me. See, Jesus stood accused of your sins so that you wouldn't have to. And this is huge, folks. This is huge. If you, if you claim to be a Christ follower, if you've given your life over to him, I, I can tell you I have met with countless, dozens, maybe hundreds of people who continue to then struggle with accusations. And, and I, I truly do believe this, that it's a spiritual attack that, that Satan tries to bring up over and over and over again, right? Things from the past, and he brings them up in accusation style, saying, there's no way that you can be forgiven for all these things. And what I want to tell you, friend, is that's just not true. That, see, there's no reason for Jesus to stand on trial, accused and condemned on your behalf if you feel the need to wind up standing there anyway. Jesus took all of those accusations so that you in him do, do not have to anymore. You're free of that. You realize that? Oh, church, you realize that? You don't have to stand in accusation of those things from the past any longer. Christ gives you freedom from that. The story is not over. I think that's good news, by the way. I don't know about you, but I did a lot of really shady things <clears throat> in my past, right? So I'm grateful I don't have to stand accused of those things. I'm grateful that Jesus took all of those things upon himself. Verse 15. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. And at that, at that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas, also known as Barabbas, which the crowd uh, had gathered. And Pilate asked them, which do you want me to release to you? Barabbas 
or Jesus, who is called Messiah. For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. Now we learn through additional text that the reason why Barabbas was a, a prisoner was that he had tried to mount several uh, riots against the Jews and against the Roman authorities. He was kind of a, a troublemaker. And in addition to that, he was a murderer. So he's not necessarily somebody that you want kind of just hanging around your family or hanging around the town. You're going you're gonna to want to make sure that Barabbas is in a safe place, kind of away from everybody else. And I believe it was Pilate's intention after kind of hearing things and seeing what was going on, he thought to himself, okay, if I'm going to release somebody... I'm going to grab the person that I'm pretty sure nobody wants Rome in the streets, right? And they didn't just have one prisoner at the time. He chose him. And he says, listen, all right, I can release one person to you. What if I release either Jesus or Barabbas, thinking that it might be an easy choice? Thinking that, okay, listen, you don't like this Jesus fellow, but at least he's not killing folks. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd for the release of Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. Well, then what shall I do with Jesus? Who's called the Messiah? Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. They don't have a crime. See, what they charged him with to get to Pilate was insurrection, that he claimed to be a king. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So they have nothing except for what they want to see done. Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And here we have this trial that Jesus is accused and what I want to propose to you is that there are kind of three groups of people that are standing around this accusation. Three groups of people that play an important role. And I think as we look at ourselves and put ourselves in this story, that he was not just accused for us. He was accused instead of us. I think we can find ourselves in this place the first group of people that stood around that day were the proud. They represented the Sanhedrin, the elders, the chief priest. They have all the answers and they perceive Jesus as a threat to all their answers. Have you ever been in this place before where it's like you, you finally figure out that you have a, a right way of doing things and you kind of hinge yourself on this? I mean, you don't have to admit it out loud, all right? Just, just let it convict you if it's there, right? And you have a right way of doing things and somebody comes along and so easily pokes a hole in that and man, it just ticks you off. 
It just takes you. Now, you can't admit that they might be right, so you hang on tighter to the way that you do things, and you feel a need to justify why you do it even more, and you dig your heels in just a little bit deeper because you can't be proved wrong. Been there before? This is the Sanhedrin. They can't dare for one second believe that Jesus might be the Messiah, the coming Christ. They have too much pride on the line, and they would sooner kill a man than admit that they might be wrong even for a second. See, I don't believe probably that you would kill somebody for that reason, but I believe maybe your words have before. See, I believe that there might be a a group of people in your wake For some of us, it's our pride that gets in the way. See, they may not be perfect, but they are better than most. And they cannot surrender to a Jesus because they cannot handle someone else being on the throne of their life. They just can't handle that. They have to be in complete control. You find yourself being a control freak about a few things in your life. Man, I can tell you, that is true for me. I battle that, right? I battle when I don't always know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going on. I can't control all those things. And man, that is really tough for me to take. But I want to caution you, if you find that true in your life, is that control is the enemy of trust. Control is the enemy of trust. Because we're called to trust in God, right? And we're called to give our life to him fully and completely and surrender that he's not just savior of our life, but he's also Lord of our life. I've heard it said before that in our heart there is, uh, there is uh, a cross and a throne. And if Jesus is on the throne, I'm on the cross. But if Jesus is on the cross, I'm on the throne. And for a lot of us, we like it that way. That we get to be in complete control. See, you cannot trust God and then grab control for your own life. God, I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to serve you in any way. You just sit and then all of a sudden, have you ever noticed that things pop up? You're like, but that. I won't do that. Like all of a sudden we revert to meatloaf, right? I'll do anything for you, God, but I won't do that. Some of you are like, I don't know who meatloaf is. Is he hungry? I'm not sure what's going on. (laughs) I don't know what's going on up here. You can't. (laughs) You cannot trust God and grab for control of your life. You have to surrender to God completely, and the proud can't handle that. And so they're standing in accusation that day where the proud They were the people who could not think in their life that there was any way that they could surrender fully to Christ. There was more people there that day, and that's the conflicted. The conflicted is Pilate. You notice this story, if you read it before, maybe this is the first time you read it, where you notice that Pilate's wife pulls him aside and he says, she says, no, no, no. Don't get involved, right? How many times have you, you uh, those of you who've been married, your spouse pulls you aside and gives you like a nugget of truth that you wish you could follow, but you can't? He's stuck. 
See, he feels pressure. He's serving under Emperor Tiberius. His job is on the line. And if the, if the Jews begin to riot and start an insurrection, it's his responsibility to maintain a Roman authority. And so he has to, in some ways, please this, uh, this ever-growing mob to get them under control. He may see that Jesus is innocent, but seeing that Jesus is innocent doesn't change the fact that he feels like he's under so much pressure, a rock and a hard place. He washes his hands, but he isn't lacking in blame. He's indifferent, and his indifference leads to Jesus' death. And I wonder sometimes in my story, and maybe you can relate to this, is that my indifference with Jesus winds up costing me more than I ever realize. Remember in my early 20s, I was thinking about God and faith and how that would play out in my life. Wrestling through this idea of wondering if it could just be enough to believe and show up and then live the way I wanted to live the rest of the time. I was caught in a rock and a hard place. See, it wasn't that I didn't think Jesus was good. I just felt so much pressure from every other source in my life that I didn't want to necessarily make a, a distinct commitment. And so I became indifferent in my faith, in my commitment to Christ. See, your indifference in your faith looks like allowing your schedule or your resources or your time or your preferences to affect your commitment to Jesus. And Paul says, I don't know what to do. I mean, I feel like I have pressure. I'm just going to wash my hands and hope that nobody, you know, makes me choose one way or the other. But trust me, there is no neutral in this life. There's no neutral. In fact, in, in the book of Revelation, if you ever read that book, and maybe you have before, you're like, man, I don't understand what's going on. There's a lot of symbolism that happens there. But we read this story about how Jesus begins to call out churches. And a couple of the churches that he calls out, he says, listen, you're lukewarm. Uh, you're not hot or cold. You're not really committed. You're just indifferent. And he says, and that makes me sick. So we don't, please, we don't please Jesus when, when we live a life that is indifferent. When we commit to him, we no longer stand in accusation. We stand with him. We have the proud. We have the conflicted. We have the Sanhedrin. We have Pilate. But there's another name, an interesting name in this story. I wish we had more too. That's the story of Barabbas. He's the spared Barabbas's history of insurrection and murder is known. And certainly he's worthy of death. Interestingly enough, his name means a son of a father. Wow, poignant, right? <laughs> Lots of thought went into that one. And it's interesting, I find it, I mean, I don't know about you, I mean, maybe this is the nerd part of Steve, but I find it interesting that that's what his name meant, son of, uh, son of a father, when there's so many other names in the Bible that mean something, right? 
It's like, wow, I'm going to change your name to this because this is what you're going to do. Or I gave him this name because it means this. And, and Barabbas' name is so generic. And I wonder if it's generic for a reason. I wonder if it's generic because it's you and me. I wonder if it's generic because anybody can be put in Brabus's story. See, he was worthy of death, but he did not get it. Jesus died in his place. And that's your story. And that's my story. His life was spared for Jesus. And I don't know, I'm just going to speculate for a moment, but as soon as he's released, I'm sure the crowds like kept their distance and somebody kept a close eye on him. But I wonder if that day he found himself walking towards Golgotha, the place where Jesus would be killed, and contemplating himself there. And wondering what that would look like for him. But now having this new life, this new freedom. And what he would do with that. See, I don't know if that's Barabbas' story, but I think it could be yours. See, I don't know today what you walked in with. (laughs) I don't know what your week has been like. Last night was like last decade don't know but I do know this that you won't find peace until you silence the voice of your accuser with the actions of a redeemer see Jesus not only not only was he accused for you his actions led him the final the full way for you And so you no longer have to stand in accusation of the past. You're free from that. You're Barabbas. You're the son of a father. But a father who loves you enough to send his very best for your very, very worst. So you don't have to run and hide from anymore. It doesn't have to be behind closed doors. You're a free person. And the choice of what you get to do with that is now yours. See, Barabbas could have very easily went back into his life of crime and shame and guilt. Or he could have lived in freedom. And that's your story too. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. So may you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. And thanks be to our God, the only Savior who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things, through all things, and in all things, both now 
forever. Amen.